Thanks for tuning in. This edition of Outcasting will begin in a few moments. Outcasting is produced by Media for the Public Good, formerly WDFH, Westchester Public Radio. Non-commercial, non-profit, and volunteer-powered. One of the things that makes a show like Outcasting possible is financial support from listeners like you. Please visit us at mfpg.org and click on Support to make your tax-deductible contribution. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. And now, Outcasting. Before I came out, I spent probably uh, six months, maybe more, thinking about how I was going to tell my, my mom. And, you know, I, I got myself so worked up over it that when I actually told her and she said, okay, I still love you, you know, I was like, wait a second, that's it? <laughs> this is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program where you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is a production of Media for the Public Good, a listener-supported independent producer based in New York, online at outcastingmedia.org. Hi, I'm Sam. On this edition of Outcasting, we'll talk about some of the issues faced by transgender people in sports. This is the first part of a four-part series. Hi, I'm Travis. For most people, gender is a simple matter. They are girls or boys or women or men. There's no conflict between the gender they feel they are and the biological sex of their bodies. But that's not true for everyone. Some people who are born into a girl's body feel themselves to be male, and some people born into a boy's body feel themselves to be female. Speaking very broadly, the word transgender has come into common usage to describe a wide range of people whose self-perceived gender doesn't match the sex of their bodies. Most of us have never needed a word to describe our gender identity. We just took it for granted. But just as the visibility of gay and bisexual people caused other people to start thinking of themselves as heterosexual or straight, the growing visibility of transgender people has brought us the word cisgender. C-I-S-G-E-N-D-E-R. Cisgender. Describing people who are not transgender. Most of us, and most of you listening to this program, are probably cisgender. But on this edition of Outcasting, we're talking with Chris Mosier, an athlete who self-identifies as... A trans guy. Thank you so much for joining us, Chris. Thanks for having me. Chris is a trans advocate, educator, coach, and three-time Ironman triathlete. He's the founder of transathlete.com, a resource for athletes, coaches, and administrators to find information on trans-inclusive sports policies. Before we start, we should talk about a few definitions. Transgender people are the T in LGBTQ. The discrimination they face is in important ways similar to the discrimination faced by lesbians, gays, and bisexuals. For that reason, trans people are all included in the general acronym LGBTQ, and to an extent in the fight for equality, though generally the trans movement has not advanced as far as the gay rights movement. We've talked about that in other editions of Outcasting. But some of the issues in trans identity are very different from the issues in sexual orientation. When we talk about sexual orientation, we're talking about whom you're attracted to. With trans identity, we're talking about who you feel you are, male, female, or something else. As a society, we tend to think in binary terms, boy, girl, gay, straight. And those binary distinctions make sense for a lot of people. But for a lot of other people, they don't. People are more complicated than that. And the binary way of thinking excludes a lot of people. 
That exclusion leads to a lack of understanding, and that can translate into fear and discrimination. One of our goals on Outcasting is to explore the range of human diversity with people whose lives may be different in some ways. With greater understanding, we hope, comes greater acceptance. The lives of transgender people can be as different from each other as they are from the lives of cisgender people. For some trans people, it can mean presenting oneself to the world as a member of a different sex. Earlier on Outcasting, we talked with Julie Gray Owens, a trans activist who self-identifies as dual-gendered. In her professional life, she identifies as a man. In the rest of her life, she lives as a woman. For other people, being trans can mean hormone therapy and gender-confirming surgery. These and other modes of living are all equally valid. It's up to trans people to determine for themselves what their lives should be like and what steps they would need to take to bring their lives into harmony. Chris Mosier, we know that the conflict between self-perceived gender identity and the sex of the body you're born with can cause great stress, turmoil, and unhappiness but everyone's experience is different. Describe for us how you felt before your transition. I felt really confused. Um, I didn't have the language for what it was that I was actually feeling, which I think was even more of a challenge for me than just experiencing those emotions. I think from a very young age, I thought that I would grow up to be a man. And I have an early memory of being four years old outside uh, playing with the neighborhood kids, and they were all boys, so we all had our shirts off. And my aunt came over and t pulled me to the side and said, you need to put your shirt on. Little girls can't run around like that. And, you know, looking back at more as an adult, I have a lot of these moments where I was exhibiting boyish behavior or stereotypically boyish behavior, and it felt very normal for me. Um, so, you know, I felt... I, I think I didn't understand my feelings about it until there was a conflict. And that conflict came from other people telling me that the behavior that I was exhibiting wasn't right. It wasn't normal. So, you know, this probably hit around puberty when it's okay for little girls to be tomboys up to a certain point. And then after a certain point, they're supposed to kind of fem it up or, you know, act more feminine uh, be more girly. And that really wasn't the case for me. And that was sort of where I started to experience the messages from society of saying the way that I was was not normal. And I didn't really know what to do with that. I didn't know any trans people until after I was out of college. So I didn't have in-person experience with folks who had a similar journey as I had. So um, I really just felt very confused in, in trying to figure out, uh, I knew how I felt inside, but it didn't really match up with the way society expected me to behave. And how did you start to change your identification from female to trans guy? Well, I think a lot of it was doing a lot of research before I made that decision. And uh, the research really came from online um, YouTube was a huge part of my transition. And, um, you know, in, no, in not knowing any trans people in person, I didn't really have anyone to look to. So I did the library thing, checked out books and read a lot of critical theory about trans and people's personal narratives about transition. But I wasn't really seeing folks who were my age. And I wasn't seeing folks who had a similar experience as I did. So I was still kind of grasping for, you know, some sort of 
common ground with someone, um, I really wanted someone to kind of walk me through that process. It would have been so helpful to just have a friend who could have been like, hey, let's talk about your gender identity, you know, or, or here's what my experience was. How does that match up to, to what you're feeling? But I didn't have that. So um, I think I just one day on YouTube typed in, you know, trans guy or trans man. And all of these stories came up and I found a whole community on YouTube that was documenting their transition. And a lot of them were younger and, you know, I, I felt more connected to their stories and they shared things about, you know, before they came out, coming out to their family, what their experiences were like, some of them coming out at work and some of the challenges that they faced, getting hormones, what hormones were like, what happened to their body and their mental state when they took them, how awesome it was. And that was really when I you know, started to formulate my own thoughts about transition. Was there, do you remember like a first video that made things click in your head? I think the the first video that I really watched that made things click, that, that made me think, okay, this seems to fit for me, was a video called Transgender Basics. And it's put out by the LGBT Center in New York City. And it's a, about a 20-minute video, and it features Laverne Cox. And this was before she um, was on Orange is the New Black, um, before she was on I Want to Work for P. Diddy. And it was sharing her experience, the experience of a trans guy, and the experience of someone who identified as genderqueer. And they all told their personal stories of growing up, figuring out you know, how they came to their gender identity, and what life was like for them after. And I probably watched that video 25 times um, before I decided to come out. And it was also the video that I sent to all of my family and friends when I started to explain what trans was, you know, what it meant for me. Um, it really is just such a great primer for people to get an understanding of you know, transgender basics, as it's called. I also use it in my trainings when I do safe zone trainings for college students. And how has the way that you identify yourself changed over time? You know, I think my identity has, has changed and continues to change. And that's something about identity. Identity is fluid. It changes over time. And as a society, we get really locked into identifying people one way or another. Um, one example of that is being a vegetarian, right? So if, if you don't eat meat and people know you as not a meat eater, if you decide that bacon just smells delicious and you have to have some bacon, if you become a bacon eater, people are going to say, no, you're a vegetarian. You don't eat bacon, right? But people's tastes change over time too. So for me, my identity was I never identified as a woman, really. Um, I didn't know what I identified as, but it certainly wasn't that. And, it, and that sort of ties in with sexuality as well. I never identified as lesbian because I didn't identify as a woman. Um, I sort of started to identify as genderqueer and ad androgynous for a while. And I thought that that would fit. And then as I did more, you know, sort of research about what medical transition would entail, um, what would be the effects of taking testosterone and aligning my body more with the way that I thought that I would have grown up, um, I decided that I couldn't I couldn't exist sort of in that middle ground. Um, so I identify now as a trans guy, 
And I always say I'll maybe identify as a trans man someday when I can grow a full beard. But until then, um, I like the term trans guy. Um, but there are some term, some terms and some terminology that I that I don't feel particularly attached to, um, like F to M. And that's not something that I would ever um, identify myself as. But sometimes when folks are talking about me, that's the terminology, terminology that they'll use. So for you, transitioning was about kind of becoming an idealized self or who you thought you were supposed to be? I think it was about matching my outside with my inner feelings and, you know, being able to look in the mirror and, and see myself reflected back. And there was a long period of time where I didn't like having photos taken of myself. Um, still, even for me right now, it's really difficult to look back at photos, uh, you know, before transition. Um, and I, I had, a, you know, I had great experiences growing up and I was a generally happy kid, but um, I know that it, it didn't really match with what I thought that I would look like or, you know, and, and that it impacted my feelings a lot as well. Um, closer to starting to take testosterone, um, I really felt like when I would see myself in the mirror, I didn't recognize that person. That was not the person who I expected to be reflected back at me. And which is why, you know, I, I'm not a fan of photos from early, you know, from before transition. And, um, you know, it, that's kind of a hard place for me to go to, uh, to look back on. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, produced by Media for the Public Good in New York, online at outcastingmedia.org. We're talking about the experience of transgender athletes with Chris Mosier, a transgender advocate, educator, coach, and three-time Ironman triathlete. He's the founder of transathlete.com, a resource for athletes, coaches, and administrators to foster a community of inclusion. What does it mean to you to live now as a trans guy? It means that I can live authentically as myself and not really have to hide anymore. And for so long growing up, I tried to make myself invisible. And it's funny because I'm a Leo and people say, you know, Leo's like the spotlight and like the attention. And very much for the duration of growing up, I tried to make myself as small and as invisible and as in the corner as possible. And that carried into my adult life. And then it sort of started to become a problem. Um, it really impacted me socially of, you know, I would go places and just try to fade into the background. That's all I wanted. Um, part of that was because I was getting harassed a lot because of my appearance. Um, it's, it's very challenging for people to not be able to identify someone's gender. And so I would have instances walking down the street in New York City, in Chicago, in Los Angeles, in various cities in um, places that you think would be more progressive and not really care what people look like, where people would just flat out say, are you a guy or a girl? And and be really aggressive about needing to know my gender identity. And for that reason, you know, I really just wanted to fade into the background. I would get in large social situations and I would just close down. Um, you know, I would just totally disconnect. To live now as a trans guy where I feel comfortable, I'm identified as male, um, and, and I'm open, I'm able to be open about my trans experience, um, really allows me to have broken that shell a little bit over the past couple of years. And I really feel like a more full person, 
Like I, I can really just be my true self and not have to worry. You know, I, I still have a little bit of worries about harassment and discrimination, but not prohibitive. You know, it's not impacting my life in a negative way at this point. And does your self-identification change depending on situations? Are you always Chris Mosier trans guy? I'm always Chris Mosier trans guy. And I will say that there are some experiences that I have where I really would love just for the trans piece to kind of go away. And I think that's, you know, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted about that because I understand the need for transgender role models. And uh, I think it's a little presumptuous to say, you know, I'm a role model and, you know, uh, but I am a public figure now that I've been so open about my transition, particularly as an athlete. So I know that there is a need for me to be open and honest about my experience because there are trans kids out there and other trans adults who are hiding. They're unsure if they, you know, have the strength to transition, if it'll be okay to transition, if they can continue to play sports after they transition, all of those things. The other part of me, you know, kind of just wants to live my life as male, like I thought that I would when I was a kid. So I, I have found experiences where, um, job interviews, for example, where I question whether or not I should bring up my trans identity because I feel like that might hurt me in some ways. So it, I always identify as a trans guy, but there are certainly moments where I'm conflicted about my identity um, be, between being a trans guy and just being a guy. How unique or common do you think your experience was coming out and transitioning? I think every experience is different. I will say that I think uh, my experience was a lot less difficult than I thought it would be, which was shocking in a really good way. Um, before I came out, I spent probably... Uh, six months, maybe more thinking about how I was going to tell my, my mom. And, you know, I, I got myself so worked up over it that when I actually told her and she said, okay, I still love you. You know, I was like, wait a second, that's it. <laughs> like I expected more of a, um, of a back and forth and of, of having to explain myself and I expected more resistance. And that was kind of, uh, similar to what I experienced at work, to what I experienced with friends, that most people in my life who knew me were really cool because they knew me. Like, if if anybody knew me, they'd know it would be more shocking for me to show up the next day to work in a dress than to tell them that I was transgender. So, you know, I don't think it was really on people's radar, but people weren't really shocked by it. And because they knew me and liked me already, I had a really good experience in coming out. I don't think that that's everybody's experience. And I've had some challenging pieces with family as well, but um, there, you know, there is no typical experience to that. Um, many people face resistance in different areas of their life. I still face resistance in some areas of my life. Like I mentioned, the, the job search. Um, and I, I don't think that, that will ever go away, but um, I'm, I'm comfortable with it now. What would it have meant to you to meet a trans person before you went to college or earlier in your life, especially if it was a trans athlete? I think about this all the time. I think uh, everything would have changed for me. I am certain everything would have changed for me a lot sooner. 
And I try not to have regrets in my life, but I do have a piece of me that goes, what if, what if I would have known that being trans was a thing, right? That, that it was an option for me. What if I would have known this when I was in college? What if I would have known this when I was in high school? Because I can think back now to experiences where I certainly thought that I was going to, like I said, grow up to be a guy. And when that wasn't happening, uh, you know, I, I had a lot of emotional stress. Um, it, was, it was depressing for me. A lot of things went on. And if, if, if I would have had that opportunity to know someone and hear about their experience and get this terminology and understanding of what it meant to be trans, I think that, you know, a 10-year span of my life would have been very different. So... How much did the word transgender mean to you? Was that a word you had never heard before? It was just part of the acronym LGBT. I really didn't have an understanding of it. Um, my experience in college with trans people was that every year we had a drag show. And I wouldn't call drag queens trans necessarily unless they self-identified that way. But that was kind of as close, you know, within the, the transgender umbrella as we got and we would bring drag queens from Milwaukee, the five hours up to Northern Michigan University, and have a drag show. And it was a one-night thing, once a year, and that was kind of the most celebration of uh, gender nonconformity. And there was a student piece of that where drag queens and drag kings could perform. And so I got to see a little bit of that, but it was one night only. And so once that moment passed, like the the thought of it passed, the idea passed. So I recognize now that I, I really wasn't ready to transition at that point in my life. Uh, I didn't have the full understanding of it, but you know I do wonder, what if? We've been talking with Chris Mosier, a transgender athlete. Thanks so much for joining us, Chris. Thanks for having me. Our guest, Chris Mosier, is featured in a film called Just Gender, which looks at the realities of transgender lives. Let's listen to a short excerpt. Gender-variant people express their gender differently to varying degrees from culturally conventional roles of men or women based on physical gender. As we will see, the transgender umbrella is wide and diverse. Part of the challenge in understanding the transgender umbrella arises because there is a tendency to believe that all people readily fit into one of two gender groups, male and female. From the earliest moments of birth, we are introduced to this binary view of the world. Increasingly, there is a greater recognition that biology itself defies a strict binary view of nature, including gender-changing animals, fish, and birds. Determining gender in humans is not simply a task of equating sex genitals with gender. Even looking at only physical sex based on genitals gives rise to discussion among academics. What sex should be attributed to intersexed persons born with both male and female genitals? Similarly, what gender should be assigned to children with neither the XX nor XY chromosome pattern? Is a man born male still male if he loses the genitals from injury or castration? Because social norms require that genitals be clothed in public, Gender identity is normally conveyed through a combination of physical attributes, behaviors, gestures, and appearances accepted as normal to a man or a woman. 
Such norms change over time. For example, prior to World War I, little boys wore pink and girls wore blue. It is an oversimplification to reduce the diversity under the transgender umbrella to a few categories. Nevertheless, it is helpful to do so in trying to better understand the commonality as well as the distinctions within that diversity. Cross-dressers generally wear clothing or other elements of appearance commonly associated by a particular society with the opposite sex. Cross-dressers are generally distinguished from people who may don clothes of the opposite sex for disguise, entertainment, or holiday costume. While male cross-dressers do not want to stop being males and masculine, they do want to be able to express a feminine identity occasionally or often. Some people prefer to live most or all of their lives as the opposite sex without any desire for gender reassignment surgery. Historically, the term transgenderists had been applied to such people. People who feel a strong desire to undergo gender reassignment surgery and thus live full-time in the opposite gender are frequently referred to as transsexuals. The term was popularized by Harry Benjamin, a German sexologist and author of the groundbreaking book The Transsexual Phenomenon, largely in connection with the highly publicized early gender reassignment surgery of his patient Christine Jorgensen in 1952. Christine Jorgensen, who used to answer to George, creates quite a stir as she returns home to New York from Copenhagen. Christine hit the headlines following the series of operations in Denmark that transformed her from a boy into a girl. I'm very okay, happy quiet. to be back, and I don't have any plans at the moment. And I thank you all for coming, but I think it's too much. For many transgender people, the issue is more about how they feel and express themselves, and less about what they wear, how they cut their hair, or what is between their legs. You know, for a lot of people, it's, it's, it's interesting. They get very focused on um, a surgery or one moment where somebody is transgendered. Right? And that's partly, I think, because of the media and some misperception. The truth is, somebody's sense of gender identity is very deep and internal. It's clearly not a choice um, when, you, when you look at what people uh, are putting at stake when they need to transition. Um, people risk you know, losing not only their family, their friends, their job, um, but they risk putting themselves out there in the world to be, you know, made fun of, to be harassed on a daily basis, and to be put at risk to be murdered. While some suggest that transgender people are the result of a permissive, degenerate Western society, history shows that the underlying reality is neither new nor unique to any society. We've been listening to a short excerpt from the film Just Gender, which looks at the realities of transgender lives. It's aimed at schools and corporate diversity programs, among other audiences. The film is available through Kino Lorber Films. That's it for this edition of Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, where you don't have to be queer to be here. On the next edition of Outcasting, we continue our discussion with Chris Mosier in this four-part series as he talks about how being an athlete on a team affected his transition 
and about his experience with transphobia and being misidentified after being outed. This program has been produced by the Outcasting team, including youth participants Nicole S., Nicole K., Josh, David, Travis, Andrew, Michael, Jamie, Karen, Joe, Sydney, and me, Sam. Our executive producer is Mark Sophus. If you're having trouble, whether it's at home or school or just with yourself, call the Trevor Project hotline at 866-488-7386 or visit them online at thetrevorproject.org. The Trevor Project is an organization dedicated to LGBTQ youth suicide prevention. Call them if you have a problem. Seriously, don't be scared. They even have an online chat you can use if you don't want to talk on the phone. Again, the number is 866-488-7386. Being different isn't a reason to hate or hurt yourself. Outcasting is a production of Media for the Public Good, a listener-supported independent producer based in New York. More information about Outcasting is available at outcastingmedia.org. You'll find information about the show, listen links for all Outcasting episodes, and the podcast link. Outcasting is also on social media. Connect with us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Outcasting Media. I'm Sam. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for part two. If you enjoyed this edition of Outcasting, please make a tax-deductible gift to Media for the Public Good. We can't do programs like this without your support. Visit mfpg.org and click on support. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. Thanks.